Hi, I'm Megan. I'm Colin, and this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. Kate Myers, owner of Darling Companion, started off in the pet care industry working in animal shelters. Through her years, she has worked on mental fitness and better preparedness for animal shelter workers and pet care industry workers as well. She's done a ton of information and outreach education to pet parents on how to better care for their pets as well. And now she's transitioning into the life of a pet nanny. Today, we talk about what that transition has been like for her, how pet sitters can have more mental fitness in our days, and what it means to be better at communicating exactly it is what we do. Let's get started. Thank you for having me. I started working with animals when I was 23 years old. My family had always treated animals, our dogs and cats, as members of the family. And I found a litter of puppies uh, on a jogging trail in Eugene, Oregon. And I was so naive, I walked around asking people if they had set those puppies down. Mm. Uh, Ultimately, I realized that they had been abandoned, and that started my work with animals that has lasted my entire adult life. I think that there are so many things that people can do to make animals' lives, and dogs and cats especially, better in this world, that um, it's important for us to focus, especially as pet sitters, on educating the people who have control over these animals. And when you say, when you say educate and helping pet parents, what does that look like? Well, it's sort of a process of nudging. Mm-hmm. Um, People don't like it when you tell them that they're doing something wrong, but slowly and surely, if they trust you, you can say a few things um, that may help them. I have one situation with a little Boston Bull Terrier named Sailor, who is an absolutely wonderful little dog, but her companion dog passed away, and since then, she has been... uh, plagued with separation anxiety. She doesn't want to leave her mom. And what I noticed when I was over there is that uh, her mom didn't really look at Sailor as a dog. And I find this very, very often. People say, oh, it's my child. Um, And so she was being a real smothery mother to the dog and making Sailor nervous. So I slowly started to talk to her about things that she could do to um, treat Sailor more as a dog. And I found this with a lot of my clients. Um, Dogs, the the highest compliment I can give any dog is that it's a great dog. They are not children. They're not our partners. They are dogs. And that's what makes them so wonderful. But if you start treating them like a partner or your children, it makes the dog very uncomfortable. You're pulling them into a realm that they know nothing about. They can't be in charge of you. Um, So that's probably the biggest form of education that I do. I love how you phrase that of giving these little nudges, because sometimes when we try and look at those situations, we feel like it's our responsibility as as pet sitters and as, as pet care specialists to try and solve that for the pet parent and try and solve that situation. 
but really looking at the pet parent and recognizing that that this is something we need to help help them with, not solve it for them and giving these mm-hmm. little bits of information. Yeah, and I think I always send over articles and um, when I take on a client, I take them on for life. Um, my clients are very special to me. And over a period of time, I will arrange for trainers or look at um, someone who can do the conversation with the dog. I'm an animal empath, but I can't tell you what the dog had for breakfast. So animal communicators can be very, can be very helpful. Um, And over time, it it really is about relationship building. It's not about coming over for four hours or an evening or a day and then leaving. Um, it's a, it's about creating a relationship with the human and with the animal. Some of your experience from building relationships with with humans and and animals comes from a lot of work in animal control and in the the shelter side of of pet care. So I'd I'd love for you to kind of walk us through your history on that side uh, of animal care. Okay. Well, after I found those puppies, I took them up to my mom's house and um, found them homes. And I hooked up with an organization that was doing spay-neuter contracts, and they they sent me home with like 100 pages of information from HSUS, the Humane Society of the United States. And I read it all, and I had not realized that 18 million dogs and cats were being killed every year in shelters. And I looked around and nobody else was in line to do the work. I had a degree in advertising and communications um, and public relations. So I went to the local shelter in Eugene, Oregon, and um, they happened to have an education assistant uh, position open. I learned so much from the kennel mistress and the people um, that I worked with. We had a spay-neuter clinic. It was, it was a very progressive organization. And I, I loved working there, but I had an offer from California to, in Sonoma, California, to be licensed and information officer at Sonoma County Animal Regulation. Um, which was an animal control position, uh, it, and that was that was great. I absolutely loved working as an animal control officer. There was a lot of training, but there was also a lot of being thrown into things <laughs> that I knew nothing about. Sonoma <laughs> is a big sheep ranching area, and I didn't know anything about sheep, so I offered to volunteer to work during lambing season at a ranch and learned a tremendous amount about sheep and how hard those people work. And our major problem was um, dog depredation on livestock. So over time, again, with education, I was able to, over time, educate the elected officials and the ranchers on ways to prevent dogs from getting into their property and also educate the dog owners that when they left in the morning and left Fluffy on the uh, front on the front porch, Fluffy didn't stay on the front porch. <laughs> <laughs> Fluffy would be out, you know, and go miles and miles away and hurt other animals, and then come home. So it worked. We 
were very successful with our, our PR effort, and we reduced the amount of livestock depredation by about a hundred thousand dollars in the year that I years that I was there. So it did work. Initially, there were about three hundred thousand dollars of livestock lost, and when I left, actually, it was about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it saved a lot of animals. Hmm. From there. I my my boss from there moved to Salt Lake City and he hired me to go with him. And I was uh, the person who did all the public relations programs and education programs in Salt Lake. We did um, dog bite prevention in all of the schools and all of the grades. We had four events every year from the kids dog show to the mutt to the mutt show. And we we did calendars of um, dog owner lookalikes. We we were everywhere. You know, you could I, you, you couldn't get away from me. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. There I am, <laughs> jumping out at you, telling you about animals. Um, I was on five radio stations every day. I did three pets of the week on television stations. Um, it, well, that's just when I was younger, and yeah. <laughs> a lot more energy but it worked we reduced our euthanasia rate by two-thirds in three years now just think about that two-thirds of the animals that would have been euthanized in our shelter were saved and it was simply because of public information programs so from there i became chief of animal control it was called animal control then changed animal services uh, for king county washington that's the county that seattle is in and again um we did some education things but mainly as the chief i was dealing with personnel issues and budgeting and i hardly ever got to see the animals or the people who were connected with them and that i stayed there for a while but that just really wasn't wasn't my thing i'm not an administrator i'm a very hands-on person so the federation of humane societies hired me as their executive director and through them we did a a cat show with Tika, the International Cat Association, and originally they they had they wanted to give money away from their show, from their annual show, and so they you know the year before they'd had about five thousand dollars, but I took over their publicity and we did a hilarious, absolutely hilarious uh, uh, commercial that had a cat talking. I called it cat lips. And this is way back when there was no computer stuff. Um, and it, it we had a, a hairless cat who was dressed up like Elvis. And I love it already. Voice. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, it was a PSA, but it got played everywhere. It was just hilarious. And don't tell me why the owner had an Elvis costume for her cat. <laughs> But she did. <laughs> um, I also advertised, and I don't know if it's still around, the TV guide because it was cheap. But I could advertise the week before and tell people about it. When I got to the um, venue, there was a line around the building. The fire marshal had to keep people out until people left. And we made $50,000 at that show. Wow. 
And all of that went into a spay-neuter effort where we supplied people with $10 coupons to get their animals spayed or neutered. And then the veterinarians can turn that, could turn those into us and we would pay them for it. Most veterinarians just donated their services and didn't bother sending those in. So we had a pretty good kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Ha ha ha! For our organization, after that, and we and it was all plowed into public information. Mm. So from there, I went to Arkansas as a temporary executive director of the shelter, and we bought a mobile spay neuter unit. As you can imagine, in Arkansas, it was just animal welfare was just terrible. Um, when I came into the shelter, I wanted to understand why the walls were moving and there were ticks underneath the um, paint oh. on the entire wall and the whole wall was moving. It, um, oh. So we, it was horrible. Oh. So we disinfected, we got, um, I got the shelter into shape and then we bought the mobile spay neuter unit from which we were doing rabies shots and spay and neuter. Um, the vet that I hired was able to spay and neuter everything in the shelter that was up for adoption within a month. And then we went out in the community to, to provide low cost spay and neuter, which was not very popular with the veterinarians. Hmm. Um, they believed that we were taking business away from them when in fact we would give people certificates to go to the vet and if we found anything other, you know while the surgery was happening we would send them to veterinarians so they got extra business because these were people who wouldn't uh, have it done otherwise it was just too expensive for them and that still exists today where people just can't afford to have the basic health care for their pets but they love them very much yeah. So that's me in a, a very large nutshell. <laughs> well, I love it and how each each of those stages involved education and uh, public outreach about certain topics. So I was wondering if maybe you could ref reflect a little bit about maybe the where the need is today on furthering educating the public about animal care and animal welfare and and how how pet sitters and pet care professionals can help? Well, I think the issue, the primary issue for me right now is um, puppy mills. We didn't have those when I started. And commercial breeders who treat their animals like commodities, like widgets that can be sold, uh, um, it, and dogs and cats are not commodities they are a gift from god i truly believe that that there are companions somebody who will love you no matter what who you are or what you do and to breed them in such horrible captivity send them to a buncher who auctions them off and then sends them to puppy mill outlet stores is just horrendous um I would love to see a pet sitter association um, put enough money behind a campaign to be able to do, you know, to just be able to educate the public. And one of the things I don't see, this is not going to make me a favorite with some organizations, but the larger organizations, the only time you see their um, 
commercials are when they want money. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that just appalling. If they put that much money into educating on puppy mills or proper care or responsible dog ownership, um, even something like leash aggression, which is very common here, um, just just go through the list of things that we need uh, pet guardians to know and the care of companion animals, we would be a lot further. I mean, I, I know public information works and outreach works. And right now, we're pretty much preaching to the choir. So as a pet sitter, since you are um, financially attached to your clients, you you know you can help them decide on things but they already have a dog or a cat what i would like people to do is what i'm doing here go to the radio stations tell them you want to talk about a particular issue find out if there's any legislation in your state we have a in colorado have a puppy um bill that just simply is requiring puppy mill outlet stores to tell people the truth about where they get their animals and it's still having trouble going through. The Colorado Veterinary Medical Association opposes it, um, which was extremely surprising to me. And the more um, conservative people on the committees think that it's an interference with um, free trade and trying but if we could convince the public to support things like that, then we would be able to get get these laws passed so involvement in legislation getting out there it doesn't you know you don't have to be great to get out there and talk on the radio or you know contact the television folks they're hungry for stories Mm -hmm. and also online doing work online not just to the people who care about animals but to everybody I think that that's how we can make a real difference because we're, you know, re- respected professionals. People really, um, they do, we're taking care of their pets. We are valued. Yeah. I think that the, the really key to remember here, especially if we look at, you know, some of these issues may seem too big to to tackle as one person. But when we're thinking about just reaching out to a local newspaper saying, hey, I would like to contribute a story about this that I'm really passionate about or talking about your your clients, because I know in the nine years that my wife and I have been pet sitting, the number of clients who come to us asking, we're getting ready to get a new dog. Um, do mm-hmm. you have any recommendations? We're getting ready to get, you know, or you know, that is a great time to start getting that information out there and already having some things on hand that you can discuss with them. You can push them in a good direction, in a positive direction, and start making change right there with the people that you're already interacting with. Yeah, a letter to the editor, that's not hard. Um, those and, and also HSUS and the ASPCA have handouts on these issues. So you can get in touch with them. They'll send them to you for free. And if you do have a client that asks, what do you think about going to a pet store or getting a dog online, which is also a horrible thing because most of those come from, some are, some are decent, but most of them are puppy mill outlet people. They, have, they are breeding their own animals in that 
condition. Mm -hmm. And unless you are able to go and see where the animal is bred, it's pretty much, if they won't let you do that, then you pretty much know that this is not a reputable breeder. And believe me, I have great respect for reputable breeders. I was um, kennel inspector in Sonoma, California, and we had some of the premier world breeders uh, who had kennels there. And I learned a tremendous amount from them. And I also learned that they truly care about the breed and keeping up the standards of the breed. But there are things like um, cancer in golden retrievers and other disabilities in Labrador, Labrador retrievers that have specifically come from breeding in these facilities. And, you know, now we have to, now we're faced with that. Yeah, it really does seem like just making these small little changes and be, equipping ourselves with that information and with that knowledge and starting, you know, where to start, start with ourselves uh, and, yeah. then, and then just start talking about it to the people around you and then grow from there. Yeah. It, it, you know, one person can make a huge difference in the world. Really. We have, we have power that we should use to promote the welfare of the animals that we care for. And again, educating yourself, just go online and Google puppy mills or Google something that you're interested in that might be an issue for animals and learn about it. And then um, and then try to express yourself in a way that people will listen to you. Um, again, you don't want to preach. You want to nudge. And you also want to know to realize and respect that other people do have different opinions than you do. But we, as pet sitters, pet nannies, um, people who care for uh, other folks' dogs and cats, we have power. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important that we recognize that. It, it doesn't feel like it a lot of days when you're going in and out, when you're picking up poop or where you're, you know, you're administering med- medicine and your days are kind of long and you're covered in fur at the end of the day. But, you know, right? Like, <laughs> but people, yeah, people, people look hair, to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but people look to you. Those owners respect you for doing that. You are a visible component of the community out doing this amazing work. and. As you said, and I love that, like that, that comes with, with power. We have a position that we can speak from and to about these topics. Yeah, exactly. I consider people who provide pet sitting, pet training, um, all of us that are involved in this, in this field, uh, we're as important as veterinarians. Mm. But sometimes we don't feel like we are. You know, we're just the dog sitter or the cat sitter. Um, and and that, that attitude does need to change. We need to believe that. And we need to police ourselves because there are some really bad actors out there uh, uh, who call themselves pet sitters. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Chris Ann from Raining Cats and Dogs has this to say. Becoming a Time to Pet client has been a game changer for us. We can give our pet services clients real-time, cloud-based information they never imagined they'd be interested in. And most importantly, to me personally, I can better manage my company and look forward to more. And not a small thing, Time to Pet is responsive to my request for new features and modifications to existing ones. If you're looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. 
our listeners can get 50% off your first three months by visiting timedpet.com forward slash confessional. And something else that you've worked on over the years has been on, you know, we talk about um, the, the members of, of pet sitting and, and, and uh, pet nannies. Uh, you've also focused on the mental fitness and, and supporting of animal shelter workers. And, and I'm fascinated by that aspect. So what are some of the unique challenges that those workers face? And I think also equally as importantly here is, is how can we help support our local shelter workers? Well, number one, if it's animal control, don't call them dog catchers. <laughs> and stop using that phrase, you know, you couldn't be elected dog catcher. <laughs> That's horrible. You know, we're not, they aren't dog catchers. I wasn't when I was an animal control officer. But also what, what faces people and was part of my experience is you, most people start young. And they're a kennel attendant or a customer service person. And they're given very little. They don't know what they're getting into. They're given very little training or understanding of what they're going to. People are going to call them names, that animals are going to have to be euthanized, that it's hard and heavy work. And unfortunately, most shelters don't pay their people who are on the front lines that much. I believe in the uh, inverted triangle where the people who deliver the services are supported by the CEO and the managers and that they make as a reasonable amount of money so that they can live. And most humane societies will say, well, we just don't have the money, but they should be making it money and commensurate to what their CEO makes. So they start out, um, there's a huge cognitive dissonance between what they thought they were getting into to help animals and what the day-to-day issues are that, the, that they're facing. And a lot of the time, this cognitive dissonance leads to destructive behaviors. They smoke more, they drink more, they use um, substances more. Um, I found in the study that I did for my master's degree that um, a full two-thirds, and in some cases three-quarters of the people working in shelters did some kind of, um, not not maybe abuse, but something to make themselves feel better. Because then, on top of not getting paid much and being young, when you tell people you work in a shelter, the guaranteed um, response is, oh, I couldn't do that. I love animals. Mm. And how debilitating is that to someone who loves animals and is doing the very best that they can for them? They are not respected in the community. It's not something that people want to talk about. So they're isolated as well. And uh, the work that I did was was very much in mental fitness and communications so that they could make the job a little bit easier. But there's also the other side of the work where, you know, that, that I consider stress. There's also trauma where um, you are faced with many traumatic experiences. And I would say a majority of people who work in animal shelters have at least some PTSD. Um, 
Now, my having to euthanize animals was um, the worst part of the work. And I was traumatized by it. By the time I got out of shelter work, I was a mess. And that's really why I got my master's degree and my doctorate, so that I could help people not have to go through the same things that I went through. It w- and it was, you know, I, I was helpful, I think, in, in giving people that, um, that kind of support. But I also know that pet sitters and pet trainers and anyone who is involved with companion animals has the same kind of trauma and stress. And they need somewhere that they can go to learn about mental fitness, to learn, uh, to hear that other people are going through the same things. As an example, today I go out at, um, I think I told you I'm an animal empath. Um, I'm working with a dog who bites people who come in through the gate. And she's bitten five people so far, even though the signs are up and, you know, you can't get through the gate without realizing there's a dog who might bite back there. Uh, She's a fear biter. So I've been going over twice a week. Um, I started out with just standing there facing a tree so she couldn't see me. I've gotten up to sitting in a chair um, and she's getting curious and coming up to the fence and sort of thinking, you know, this, (laughs) this might be, but today she came up close to me and she lost it. She started barking terribly and growling and it hurt me. I actually started to cry Mm. because she didn't trust me. So it it affects the people as well as the animals. And we get into this work because we care about them. So those kinds of things can be really traumatic. Yeah, I can imagine how, you know, you said you go into the work to help the animals. And it's kind of like uh, people who go into child services because they get into it to help the kids. But you very rarely mm-hmm. see kid, those kids on their best day, right? You very yeah. rarely see the pets on their best day when you're working in a shelter. And those, those happy moments, I'm sure, are those, are, those are those are wonderful when they happen, but um, it, those can be tough to come by sometimes, I'm sure. So, so as, as pet sitters in our community, um, what are some ways that we can support our local shelters and, and help them and lift them up? I would say just get in touch with them. Tell them who you are. Tell, you know, g- give them that support and tell them that you respect the work that they're doing so much. Volunteer at the shelter uh, so you understand what people are, are going through. And uh, I think support groups are a great idea. They, I, I would always suggest those when I went out to an organization to teach them. It, um, and I would teach them how to do a good support group. People, mental health is sort of a, a sticky issue in this, this, probably all over the world. Yeah, you know, people don't want to admit that they go to a counselor or that you know they're involved in a support group, and it shouldn't be that way. I mean, we uh, so that's why I call my work mental fitness. Because it's just like building your muscles. Um, you have to build a, a certain boundary and have clear boundaries um, around what you're doing. But go out and volunteer. Um, volunteer to walk some dogs. 
Talk to the people who work there. Tell them that out in the community, and, and in the community, when people say something bad about, about let's say a shelter has, is a kill shelter, it has to be because there are just way too many animals. When people start to malign the folks that work there because they kill animals, stop them and say, you know, what would you want them to do with these 2,000 animals a year? Are you willing to take? Um, 50 of them and give them a home there are too many animals and not enough homes and again back to the puppy mill issue they are flooding the market with very um, uh, emotionally and behaviorally and sometimes physically sick animals and but people are buying from those places and they're buying online they think of a shelter animal as being sort of a second-hand dog or a secondhand cat. And they're not. They're, you know, they're wonderful. And there are many purebreds that are in shelters. So that's what I would do. Just get to know the people in your community that are doing the work. Yeah. And I know many shelters are have been struggling, especially through last year with the lockdowns yeah. and the drop in city revenues. Um, many have mm-hmm. been relying more and more on volunteer work just to make you know, the, the basic minimum care required and barely stay afloat. So there is a, a, a really, really uh, big need out there for that kind of involvement. Yeah. And volunteers tend to want to do the fun stuff, you know, walking dogs, you know, you're giving your time, yeah. um, walking dogs, grooming dogs, you know, seeing the, the good side. But we as pet sitters are professionals. We know how to clean a kennel. We know how to do to do that work. Offer to do those things instead of the fun things, and do a few fun things too. But um, and recommend to your clients that they go in and adopt animals from the shelter. Um, there are just a lot of wonderful animals that I have had to euthanize because they just were unwanted, and that is a tragedy. You have had all of that experience uh, in in the the animal care side. And how does that affect how you now operate as a pet nanny and the specialized care that you give? Well, it infor- it has informed my work. I no pre- <laughs> ask me a question. I probably know the answer to it, um, or if I don't, I will find out. And that gives my clients a sense of um, of being stable and and knowing that when they leave their animals with me that they are going again i have a relationship with them that they are going to be properly and well cared for and truly loved um so i and the things that i've learned like giving fluids and injections and pills and you know um especially pills to cats, which I have a client and I have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki forgives me every time, but, you know, he is not really thrilled about having this pill in his mouth. (laughs) 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 So um, all of of the skills that I have and also all of the depth of information that I have informs the work that I do. I can help people. I can help animals. And especially since I have found my niche in taking care of uh, special needs animals, uh, that has, and I think it's important for every pet sitter or pet nanny to 
find a niche that they can work in because number one, you can command more money. And number two, you can help people that can't get help anyplace else. Yeah. And I want to, I want to dive into that a little bit more because when a lot of people here find a niche um, that can seem a bit ethereal and, and not concrete (laughs) enough. So, so when you say find a niche, what does that mean to you? Well, it means deciding the exact kind of work that you want to do. Do you want to work with large dogs? Um, Can you take dogs for, there's one group of people here in Colorado who take dogs on adventures and part, their niche is taking large dogs out for a lot of exercise. Um, Do you want to take your, your, uh, canine companions that belong to somebody else to training. I went to a training class with one of my clients just to um, be involved in what the, she and the dog were doing. Um, do you, do you want to only work with cats? Do you want to only work with small dogs? Um, do you want to work with dogs who are paralyzed or have cancer or have um, other other physical disabilities, but also behavioral disabilities. Do you want to help them work through those with the trainer? Um, do you want to provide around-the-clock service? I'm 24-7 with the animals that I take care of. I take on no other clients while I'm taking care of people's animals. And, you know, that I, I don't make a lot of money because I'm working 24 hours, but... Um, the folks who are char- you just coming in and charging 40 bucks a night, they have to have other things in their lives or they wouldn't be able to survive. So are you providing the enough specialized care and are you charging enough for your time? A whole night at somebody's house, usually part of the day before and the day after, um, how much would you make if you were uh, a nanny for a child? I think that that's really important to understand that uh, we do, everybody that I come in contact with says, oh, my dog is just like my child or my cat is just like my child. But when it comes to caring for those animals, they want to get the cheapest thing they can. And, you know, 30 or $40 a night um, is just not enough for people to to live on do you want to make pets is it just a side job or do you want to make pet care and and being a pet nanny into a lifelong journey well yeah and it takes those people who are really passionate about it i mean those are the kind of people we want to see continuing year after year after year and when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it the only way that the passionate people can be in this business is if they're earning enough money to live off of it and to do it. And if when you see that burnout happen, those people flame out because a lot of times, well, they were wasting a lot of this time for not a whole lot of money and they didn't see it being worth it to them uh, to continue doing that. And so by raising those prices and, and charging, you know, things yeah. that you can live off of, you are able to continue to give that excellent care that you want to be giving. Exactly. And um, I, I charge $120 a calendar day. So if I stay overnight, I'm charging two days. 
Um, so it'd be $240. Uh, and my clients don't mind paying that, but it is significantly more than most most pet nannies or pet sitters charge. Um, and some of the some of the animals I care for really aren't, you know, have no physical problems or behavioral problems. All, all dogs have behavioral problems. <laughs> <laughs> I've never found one who would just walk beside me on a leash and <laughs> You know, never, never bark or, <laughs> I mean, really, don't, every human has a behavioral problem. Uh, so, you know, if you're, it, my clients don't have a problem, but the fact that there are people who are charging 30 25 $40, I think the highest I've seen is like $50 a night, Um that really is undercutting folks that want to provide good service. And it's also undercutting their own sense of worth. I mean, how much are you worth? I would say that most pet sitters are worth a lot more than they are charging. And don't be afraid. I mean, I started out at $50 a night. I went up to 75 And then I realized that I could get 120 I could probably get 150 now. Um, for the for the work that I do, now there's a cost of living that you have to keep up with. You're right, and and that is hard to sit down and from just look reflecting in on yourself and going, what am I worth? And I think that knee jerk reaction is to say, oh, not a whole lot, right? Because there are better people out yeah. there than I am, right? There's and, and yeah. I I would technically do this for free because I love it so much, <laughs> but. I've got to put a number out there. So I'll just make, I don't want to make anybody mad and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and I don't want anybody to say no or not be able to get their pet care that they need. So, so I'll just charge, you know, $15 for this. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You're driving to walk a dog. You're driving for getting back for 10 minutes. You walk the dog for half an hour. um, 15 bucks is not enough even for that service. And a lot of people end up pet sitting um to you know staying with the animals in the owner's home and i go to the owner's home by the way um and then walking six dogs that day as well and that to me you're not concentrating on uh the care of the dogs that you or cats that you are caring for during the day every once in a while i'll ask a client could i go over and work with this other dog for a couple hours you know um, but I always tell them that I would be doing something, and and most don't mind. But I've had cases of separation anxiety where I've had to be there literally 24 hours a day. And I would have food brought in <laughs> uh, and you know, have people spell me so that I could go out and go to the store. Um, that's the kind of dedication you need if you're going to charge a lot of more money than, than the average. And I think I think that gets down to how you've classified your services here. You know, you you say pet nanny, and so I was wondering why you didn't decide to go be a, a pet sitter, or how you differentiate between those two. Okay, well, I don't sit on the pets. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Never. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> um. And and I am more like a nanny. I have a relationship with the owners. I have, um, uh, I, I, you know, have people who book me a year in advance for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, 
I I give more. I'm I'm just a nanny. I'm not a, like a child's nanny. Part of that too is is that you've decided to specialize. You've, your niche is is special needs pets. How did you find that mm-hmm. niche? Well, a friend I had no pet of my own, and a friend of mine had a dog that was dying of cancer. And she and her husband were were the caregivers for this dog. And just like a caregiver, you know, for a human, they were really getting burned out. They hadn't been on a vacation for three years. They have, you know, even a weekend. So I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'd be happy to take care of him. And they went off for about five days. And when they came back, they were so refreshed. And, and they, you know, they felt, and they felt so comfortable with me that they didn't even worry about their dog. And to me that it just was sort of an aha moment for me that there must, I was like, that was a dog, a wonderful dog, my first adult dog, um, who had a heart condition. My husband and I didn't go on a vacation for seven years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a lot. And a lot of people won't when they have an ill dog. So I thought, you know, there must be a lot of people out there who want this kind of service, who want someone who's going to be there all the time, who's going to get to know their animal, who's going to know what to do if the animal gets sick, um, who's going to know if the, the animal gets worse or injures itself or, you know, um, I don't panic. Uh, years of animal work has gotten me to a point where I just don't panic. I just do what I have to do to make it to make it better. And I've had to take dogs to that. I've had to. Um, I had one dog that passed away while I was there, um, which was very sad. But he really wanted permission to go. I could sense that. He was so tired and in so much pain that he really wanted to be able to go. So while they were gone, he passed away in my arms, just gave a big sigh and died. And that's hard. That's really difficult. But I was glad that I could be there for him. Um, Also, on the cost, the, the charging issue, I have a sliding scale. If it is a financial hardship for someone, I will. Um, work for less, or sometimes I waive my fees entirely uh, if it's if it's someone who needs me. And the, because I charge my other clients enough, I can do that. How much should I charge for my pet care services? It's a question we hear all the time at Pet Sitters International. And this month, we want to equip you to answer that question with confidence. This month, you can watch a special training, Profitable Pricing, Are You Charging What You're Worth? For free when you visit PetSit.com slash PSC by June 30th. After watching the on-demand recording of this session, which was originally presented during PSI's 2020 virtual Pet Sitter World Conference, you will feel more confident pricing your services for maximum profitability without fear of losing business. After a tumultuous year like 2020, it's a good time to revisit your pricing and decide whether you should update your rates to ensure the longevity and success of your business. Or if you haven't opened your business yet, this free training will give you insight into how to set your rates for your new pet care service. Visit PetSit.com slash PSC by June 30th to access this free training.
why do you think that that issue of of encouraging others to charge with their worth and to find that niche why why is that so important to you well because we need you really said it um we need people of value to do this work people who are committed to animal welfare in the broad sense and who, who are committed to individual animals and their clients in the more uh, micro sense, uh, people are passionate, and you're not going to be able to get people passionate if they have to keep three jobs to be able to do this, to do the work with the animals. They're just going to be miserable, and they're worth it. You're worth it, since a lot of people in in the pet sitter business um, are women. And I don't think people, women, really know their worth. You know, I, I charge, I figured out my charge by going for eight hours for $15 an hour. And that's $120. But I charge a calendar day, not an overnight. So, you know, it is, it is more expensive. Yeah, but as you said, you're worth it, right? You're yeah. worth it. You and the listener currently listening to this are worth it. To sit down and and because sometimes when you sit down and go, what am I worth? You know, you can back into it from a couple different ways. You can go, okay, what's you know what's the minimum wage or or what's the going rate for these kind of care services? Or you can look at what you just need to live and make ends meet, and then mm-hmm. charge that right. Like <laughs> like there are a couple different angles that you can come from to get to that point. Yeah, you should decide. Um, I have friends who are pet sitters who are vet techs. And they're charging what would end up being like $5 an hour for the work that they do. And they're trained veterinary technicians. You know, it's just, and again, women really don't um, know their own worth. There's, uh, I'm trying to remember her name, but there's a podcast that's it's Know Your Worth. And I would suggest that everybody get on that and listen to what what people who have been very successful say. I'm not going to get rich doing this work. And I do have Social Security, which gives me a base income. But, you know, um, we're not going to make a fortune, but we should make enough to keep us um, able to live and to live well, not just you know, to live, to live in a box and <laughs> you know, come out when we have a pet sitting job to do. I know several people in Colorado who have no home and they just go from pet sit to pet sit and they don't charge people anything. Right. But I, you know, I caution my clients, you get what you pay for. You really, you really do. And that, that goes into part of, again, factoring uh, your worth because you can use it to also to differentiate yourself from others, also to attract certain types of clients. Um, there's a mm-hmm. lot that goes into the pricing um, that that really needs to sit down and do some serious consideration and, and thinking and, and almost you know strategizing over. Yeah, I mean, it's just like any business. You need a strategic plan. You need to know your mission and your goal. And you need to set up a business. You need to do it like a business. So it's not just a... Um, if it is a sideline, make sure to tell people that, that you are going to be doing other things and that you're, um, you're not going to be full-time with their animal. And, and that's okay. But we need to start differentiating from that type of thing. The kid down the street who charges 
five bucks, you know, or 20 bucks for, you know, taking care of your dog for an evening. And, and the professional pet sitter or pet nanny, mm. it is important for us to recognize that we are, we are professionals. Now, also, if you're just getting into this and you don't have a lot of experience, I mean, I have 45 years of experience, so I'm an, I'm an easy sell to clients. <laughs> They're like, oh, wow, you've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> but if you're just starting this kind of work, learn about things, hmm. take classes. And if you're able to do that, you have to figure the cost of those kinds of things into into your pay. You have to figure out travel time and the time you spend promoting your business, um, anything you spend on advertising. Now, I started with Craigslist, and uh, there was no charge for it until Craigslist got crazy. And all I got were people who were trying to you know, <laughs> sell me something or right. you know, Send me to Russia or whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was just weird. So I went on next door, yeah. next door neighborhood, and that has brought me a lot of business. I have signs on my car. I give out cards at every you know place I go. They should go to the Chamber of Commerce and talk to them. But you do need to educate yourself um, in proper pet care and there there are always classes that you can take and with zoom they're usually not that expensive Be, again you have to have a passion for it and you have to want to learn uh recently the san francisco spca held a great class uh um for it was for pet owners but you sure could learn a lot uh as a pet sitter there is a um group and their name is sort of odd. It's called Fear Free Happy Homes. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought it was about domestic violence. But, oh, <laughs> but it's actually, yeah, I mean, you know, what else would you? Uh, right. But it is for pets, you know, pet owners, pet sitters. They have a lot of great information. There's a whole world of information out there. And if you spend a couple hours a day, just going online and reading about something that interests you, you'll find what you really want to do. You know, some people can take care of horses or livestock. Um, I can see that as a great niche if that's, you because know, most people always have dogs and cats too. But I can see that as a great niche. I take care of horses. I take care of livestock. Um, I take care of goats, you know, um, any of those things. I mean, I think you can make a lot of money uh, caring for caring for livestock and a way to learn about livestock is to volunteer at a local uh, farm animal sanctuary they're pretty much in every state yeah you talk about people who are passionate about their animals and their lives horse people are passionate uh, about the animals in their lives to a level that a few can rival uh, so that it is a real need because they stress about having a properly trained professional person to come over and take care of their, their horses, or as you said, of of their livestock, of of whatever um, range that that could be, like the, they, you you can see an instant sigh of relief when you are able to solve that problem for somebody's mm -hmm. life. Like you can see, oh yeah, you, you see that tension release from their shoulders, and they can they breathe just a little bit different when they realize how you can help them 
in that manner. Like it really does make a huge difference in some difference in somebody's life. Well, I think that should be. We should say, "How can I help you? What can I do that will make this better?" And if you're going to go into horses or livestock, there is a state. I guarantee there is a state university or veterinary school that you can take classes at. Um, you don't have to matriculate and become a you know horse doctor, but I am sure there are um, Colorado Horse Rescue is a great organization and also the um, great escape mustang sanctuary they take volunteers and they will teach you everything you want to know about these animals so that's that's a niche that's an opportunity for someone and it probably is an opportunity for four or five people even if you live in the same area i don't look at money as a limited pie and we've all got to rush around trying to, you know, get our little slice of the pie. Um, there, it's an unlimited pie. You know, you can make another pie. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just not like we're going to make one pie and that's it. You know, never another. Um, <laughs> that would make me very unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, there are all these attitudes and things that people need to really work through right. to decide, what am I going to do? Do I want to do this for the next five, maybe just the next five years? You know, do I, do I not want to do this and maybe I become an animal control officer because they're always looking for them? Or, or I work at a humane society or I get a, you know, a veterinary degree. But you have to think about it. it's not just one day at a time. You have to look into the future. I'm 68 years old, so I really can't take care of huge dogs that pull me down the street. Um, so I limit my actually one of my clients has two Labrador retrievers who are very enthusiastic. They hire a dog walker to walk the dogs while I'm pet sitting. As you said, like knowing. Knowing those limitations, knowing what you can, can't do, knowing what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do, all tie into that as you look at solving those, those people's problems. And I, and I love how you, you touched on there of having the long view through it and looking ahead and having a plan because I feel like, and I know that I do this in my life all of the time, of I'm really passionate about something and I just start it, right? And I, I, I take that first step but I have no idea where that second step is going to land, let alone, <laughs> let alone the third or fourth or, you know, I'm not even, I can't, you know, I'm not even counting up to 10 at that point. It's that. <laughs> and so as we're in our businesses, as we're running our businesses, running, we are running them. We are running these marathons that are our business, carefully having a plan for each step that we're taking along that path, guiding not just for our niche, but also for for us, the business owner, what am I going to be doing? What am I going to want to be doing 20 years down the road? I I don't feel like many people, especially in pet care, plan that far out or plan for the next year. They're so, as you've said, in the here and now, trying to survive, trying to make it that let alone, you know, a year, let alone a month from now, that's not even in the cards. Yeah, uh, well, most people who do this work live with, you know, th and think with their hearts. Right. Which is wonderful. 
but you also need to develop the skills. And, and that's not to say that everything's going to, you're going to go one, two, three, four, and it's all going to work out. You <laughs> no. should be open to an organic growth that leads you. You know, once you open this up, anything could happen. It's thrilling to, um, I thought I would just be doing um, special needs animals. But I'm doing all sorts of of companion animals now that people just want extra care for. And if you are limiting yourself, like there's that very fine line between having a plan and executing the plan and being open to other opportunities as they come along. So there is that balance of of executing a plan, but also being flexible enough and willing enough and open enough to opportunities as they come along, because you don't want to miss those. You don't want to miss the 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 potential that those have to not just make your business more robust, but also to expand your experience, to expand your knowledge, and to expand your skill set, so that the next time somebody asks for something, you can go, ah, hey, I I've done that. Uh, I can help you. Exactly, and don't look at criticism uh, in the scientific world. Uh, negative feedback is feedback that makes no changes. Positive feedback is feedback that makes a change. So if someone says something to you that you might improve, that's positive feedback if you pay attention, if you pay attention to it. So, you know, listen to what your people are saying. I always send out a little um, questionnaire, after, especially with new clients, that says, is there anything I could have done better? Uh, would you like anything additional? How did you feel? And I'm not looking for compliments. I'm looking for people to actually tell me what they what they would like, which can be really scary, right? Which yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> how, how do how do you how do you receive that feedback? What kind of advice would you give, or do you give to people who the the mere thought of opening yourself up for kind of for feedback like that is it's is terrifying. Yeah, it is scary. First, I go, ouch. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts. (laughs) And then, you know, I leave it for a little bit. And then I come back and say, okay, what can I learn from this? This person isn't doing this to be mean. Or if they are doing it to be mean, just never talk to them again. But um, they're not doing it to be mean. They're doing it to tell you how you can improve. And the ouch stays there. You know, it always stays there. It's like, oh, you know, I'm not perfect. I thought I was perfect. <laughs> so, no, I, um, I, I just, I, I, of course, I'm older. So as you mature, I think you become, it's a, it's, it's a quality of maturity that allows you to engage with people even if they aren't of your beliefs or your um or they give you something that you that is yucky and makes you feel yucky you know i mean it took me a long time um but i learned a, a friend of mine was like the premier trainer for american humane association and he did sort of business training and how to be a leader that kind of thing and he hired me to give a lecture on public relations and the one i gave was terrible <laughs> it was just awful <laughs> yeah I, I mean the audience looked like you know deer in the headlights <laughs> terrible yeah um and he took me aside and very gently said 
No, that was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And what you need to do next time is this and this and this and this. He hired me again and I had changed the entire presentation and it was excellent. I got so many compliments for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it hurt, but I trusted him. And I think that that kind of thing is... It just helps you grow, even it's like it's going to hurt. Right. Yeah. I think and you, you said a very important word there, and that was you trusted. You, ha- you do have to trust when you ask for feedback, even if well, asked, you know, solicited or otherwise. You have mm-hmm. to trust that there's a meaning to it, that there's a purpose to it, and that you can take whatever feedback you get, positive, negative, or otherwise, and make something good become of it and grow from it. And you have yeah. to, right, you have to trust in that. Well, and I'll ask people if there is something that they want done differently, I'll go back and ask them, okay, you know, thank you for telling me that. Um, and if I have a question about how to do it, I'll ask them, you know, what would you think about this? Or what would you think about that? You know, it helps you grow. Kate, I have to say, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I, I can't tell you how much. Uh, I've learned from it, and I really appreciate you touching on the importance of education, passion, and personal reflection in ourselves and in our businesses to make them robust and to last uh, for years and years to come. But I know that there's a lot more to cover, and I'm sure our listeners will have a lot more questions as well. So, how can yeah, they... I've, I've, I, I'm just thinking of all the things I didn't say. So. Oh. <laughs> well, that just that just means that there's a part two that we'll have to get scheduled coming up. That's all that means. <laughs> well, if people want to get in touch with me, uh, they can go to my website, which is www.darlingcompanion, one word, dot me. And I'll have that in the show notes so people can click on that, as well as some of the other stuff that we've discussed as well, links to. Fear Free Happy Homes, and some of those um, horse rescues that you mentioned as well. So people can check out and see if there's anything like that in their area and start making some advancements, start making some connections uh, today. Yeah, Um, uh, it's been wonderful. I really enjoyed it, and I'd be happy to come back. Yeah, we would love to have you back on, Kate, again. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much. Me too. Take care. Be safe. I had three really big takeaways from my conversation with Kate. The first one was the importance of education, not just education of ourselves as pet professionals to continue to better ourselves and hone our skills so that we can charge more and know our worth, but also the importance of educating our clients and our community. Maybe it's something that we are passionate about or a big problem that is going on in the pet industry, like Kate mentioned of puppy mills. My second big takeaway was the unifying theme of passion and how our passion as pet professionals drives us every single day. Now, unfortunately, the flip side of that is that we tend to be more prone to trauma, to PTSD, because we care so much. When things go wrong, we have to have something to reflect on, and we need to be able to recover from that mentally and emotionally, and that doesn't happen all the time. Kate mentioned this particularly in animal shelters and that side of pet care, but it also plays a role in pet services as well. And it's something that we have to stay on top of. And so developing mental fitness through groups and through destigmatizing 
seeking counseling and seeking help is something that we can all do. And then my third takeaway is the importance of personal reflection. And this really hones in on what we are worth and taking that time to look into ourselves, to plan out our businesses, to have a long view in mind, not just for our business, but also for our personal growth, to know where we're headed and why we are headed there. I would love to know what you took away from this episode, and you can send that to feedback at petsitterconfessional.com or DM us on any of the social media platforms at Confessional. We want to thank our sponsors, Time to Pet and Petsitters International for making this week's show possible. And we want to thank you for listening. It really means so much. You, you have no idea how much it means to know that you are listening and you are sharing the episodes and that these are benefiting you. We, we love producing them. We love making them. And we're so happy that we get to share these kind of conversations with you every single week. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And we'll be back again soon.